Welcome back to 10 Questions with this week's guest, one of my favourite people in Australian show business, Matt Preston. Matt's one of the most recognisable faces in Australia due to his role as a judge on MasterChef, but his story started in England, going to boarding school, then the University of Kent, before following his father into journalism. Matt wrote about television in Britain before the company he worked for sent him out to Australia to write about TV here. He then segued into writing about food for The Age, News Corp and the magazine Inside Melbourne. In this interview, Matt will tell us about the random way in which he won the MasterChef gig, a juggernaut of a show which played in 110 countries to an audience of 180 million people. Matt starred on MasterChef for 11 seasons and now he's written his eighth book, Matt Preston's World of Flavor, where, among other things, he's uncovered the genesis of spaghetti bolognese. Spoiler, it's not a New Zealand invention, it's an Australian invention, or more accurately, a South Australian invention. But as usual, I started proceedings by asking Matt when he was most happy. Oh, you know, what do you want? The cliched stuff is obviously child one, two, three wedding. You know, that, that that's the... Yeah, yeah. You've got to, and, and look, that genuinely is, that those are the moments... Other moments, other moments that I think it's 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 when happiness, but there's happiness, which is kind of a, a warm, fuzzy glow. Then there's elation. Then there's a moment when you kind of you explode. And and that would be invariably that would be invariably be football based, um, whether whether that's the whether whether that's the Victorian code or the or, or the or the, the world game. Um, you know, it's things like when it's, it's when that goal was scored in the in the. In the FA Cup final, um, it was being in Stuttgart, in being in Stockholm Stadium when uh, Frank John Franco Zola comes on and scores as, as his first touch as a substitute in the Cup Winners' Cup final. It's um, you know, it, it's all those, it's all those brilliant. It's being with a load of Carlton supporters, and it's a really tight game, and and they think that they they won, and we wind them in and beat them, and that 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 immense pleasure that comes of you know, in in the old days, you'd be standing with a with a rum and coke, fourth quarter, down on the boundary fence, surrounded by your cart mates, you know, giving giving it large, you know, <laughs> uh, a certain amount of that going on. Yeah, because that's those, those are and and then the other area obviously is music. I mean, uh, it's one of the things. I mean, music is is music is as as John Miles said, music is my first love and it will be my last. Um, and some of those yeah. things, you know, it's the difference between music, that's why music is so much superior to food. Is you'll be in a crowd of maybe. 100 people seeing it at an early U2 performance or, or 50,000, 60,000 people at Glastonbury um, when Jarvis Crocker breaks into singing um, uh, breaks into Common People or, or the mm. Gallagher boys crack into, crack into playing um, Wonderwall and the whole audience is singing along with you. Or it'll be outside. I was, I was outside. I was consoling a mate who'd just been dumped by his girlfriend and I, took, and I, I, I had a bloke who worked in a travel agency. He found me a really cheap price to go to Malta. So I flew him to Malta. So we went, went to Malta. And Malta's a, an, odd, an odd place to go. We ended up one night in St. Paul in the nightclub district. And um, he was feeling very down in the mouth. And we're just sitting there. And, and at, at the same moment, about four groups of people walked past us going in different directions. And it, out from a, a bar came the first bars of REM's, first notes of REM's um, Losing My Religion. And everybody spontaneously, us, the Maltese kids, the tourists, Everyone started seeing that 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 first stanza of oh, losing wow. our and it's like and, and there's that moment wow. of connection that's that, that, so that that's another that's another of those moments. And that cheered him up. No, he was still really depressed. <laughs> he, he went. He went back. He was fine. He, he reunited. They got married. 
I, I was at the wedding. It was all great. I need to ask you some follow-up. So we're obviously talking about Collingwood. Yes. And what's the what's your football? What's your uh, the, the mighty Chelsea Chelsea Football Club? I grew up within. I grew up within three minutes walk of the ground for the first um, six years of my life, and then ten minutes walk of the ground. So absolutely central to to who I was as a kid. It was you know it was the old territorial days of football that you know you live near the ground you went every saturday you went in the boys entrance at the shed end you avoided the really yeah. scary big guys because you never knew what what they were carrying <laughs> in their jacket that's right because <laughs> I, I i wasn't really aware of this kind of kind of the boys section and everything until i read read fever pitch um nick hornby's book on arsenal it's fever pitch also when he was support when he was at college and supporting like uh, Reading or another a third tier league where they that they threw the where they'd always throw a frog into the middle of the road before they went to the game, a, a, a little chewy like a like a gummy frog like a, like a gummy bear. Did he go to Oxford or Cambridge? I'm not sure, but it was it was it was Oxford United, I think. I think Oxford right. United, right. yes, Oxford yes. United. And look, look, I mean that you know that, that's the whole thing about supporting a the whole thing about supporting a, a, a club and the happiness that brings is there's happiness just not getting pumped by ten goals. There's happiness of always always going there. There's there, there's happiness with that one win of the season when you've lost every other game. Um, so I mean, I think that and and it's and it's it's not happiness. It burns brightly, but it um, but but gee, it's good when it happens. Yeah, I mean, 2010, you must have been very happy. Uh, the the week, the second week. Well, with no, and yourself, I wasn't. I wasn't very happy because what I'd done is I'd I'd um, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd arranged that I'd go the first week. Um, and then the week after, I'd committed to going to to the Flinders Rangers with a with a, a famous chef called Rennie Rizepi, um, who is an old mate. And then and so the second week, I'm going, oh, I've got to go. So I watched the game. I watched the game in a, an Aboriginal community in Flinders Rangers, eating eating grilled kangaroo tail, drinking West End bitter, and watching it on an old rear projection television. But it was still sweet. Oh, wow. It was oh, still wow. sweet. But then you know, yeah. But, yeah, but it, no, it, it's not the same as being there. It's not that no. moment where when 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 you really it's happening. It's not that moment you look around and you see seventy year old men crying because it's been so long. I mean that's yeah. a, it, it's a you know it's a it's a beautiful thing. And I, and I still I think we all you know we anyone who anyone with a soul felt for the Bulldogs felt for felt for mm. Melbourne and feels right now feels for you know those poor poor old St Kilda. Yeah, St. Kilda. yeah, yeah, um, and. Uh, I, I know that anyone with the soul doesn't feel for Carlton, which is a, which is a shame. Ever, anyway. ever, <laughs> because you know what it is. It, you know what it is. And look, I think. I mean, I think Richmond fans are a little bit guilty of this after their their, their, their three out of four. There's a smugness that comes with victory, mm. and it's not the first one, but it's when you had a little period, you become a bit smug and maybe a little bit patronising. Mm. It'll be your day Wednesday soon. Mm. And and look, I think all <laughs> football fans are are vulnerable to that. But there's something about Carlton. Something mm. about Carlton fans. There, there's a sense that they, the sense that they deserve to be there. That it's their rightful place. And that's. I don't think that's a, a sense that maybe that I'm going to say that the certainly St Kilda fans are all about. You know, our pace is to suffer. Mm. Um, Collingwood fans. I, I think. I think we, we've had so many years of and Melbourne fans. We had so many years of nothing. We're just used to it. It's what we expect. Mm. You mm. know, Collingwood will always let you down. I mean, it's the self-destruction nature of football club. It's interesting you know? that you you kind of got a sense of that having arrived in Australia in the nineties, which is essentially, I mean, we, we won a premiership in ninety-five, but it's um it's all been downhill since then. So you've seen really the the struggle of Carlton as opposed to well, well you see, I my, my 
this the the first two games I went to see were um, a football word in the UK were at the um, with the the game between uh, Carlton and Hawthorne, and then the game the year later, the famous battle of, Battle of Britain between um, North Melbourne and, and Carlton. So I was familiar that with Carlton and and, and I had Carlton <laughs> fans, Aussie mates with Carlton fans, and they were that they they were going to see them was like going to go and see the Boy King. Yeah, I mean, come come <laughs> see Carlton, the greatest football team in the world. And so I I, I arrived here in, in you know I arrived here having made my decision to be a, a Collingwood supporter. Uh, fortuitously the same team that my wife's family support mm. and um but i i'd made that decision i was dating a, an australian in london and she used to leave me on saturday to go make her tv child, children's tv show and she'd turn on the stephen quartermain highlight show and uh, this is after we our first date had been at that the battle of britain um and i, I just fell in love with with number 35 the magnificent peter dacos yeah. and so any guy can do this i don't i didn't know anything i didn't know anything about the team had no idea what sort of team they were or, or or what they stood for or what they meant. And I was just mesmerized by by number 35 and by the kind of way that that, that Darren Mullane used to stand up for his mates was also really mm. powerful. Yeah, you know, that yeah. number 42. So I think that those uh, so I, but I arrived, I arrived. What do we think? I arrived October. I arrived October. So after Grand Final, I arrived October, Derby Day, 93. 94, we played, we we played West Coast and got thumped. And then I don't think we made finals for, for years and years and years. So, no, so here, not until Malthouse. Here, here was this terrible thing that I'd, I'd come around the world. I had that that free pass to pick the football team. I could pick any football team I wanted. I could have picked a, you know, a, a Geelong. I could have picked a, anyone I wanted. Yeah. I could have picked a winning team. And, and I, I lumbered myself with the same, with, with the same Chelsea at that point. It had a, again, you know, not since the 70s that they'd won anything. So, so I'd come the other side of the world. And I love myself with another team that did nothing. But luckily, <laughs> luckily both both have come good in, in the in senior years. What about Chris, your, your countryman Christian O'Connell's luck of uh, going for Melbourne? Oh, yeah. Yeah, look, um, look, look I, 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 I'm surprised he's a Melbourne supporter. I am. I mean, I, I, mean, I you know, I, 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 I would have had him down. I would have had him down as an Essendon supporter. He looks like an <laughs> Essendon supporter to me. I, I don't, don't know what you think. You know what I mean? He kind of has that. Yeah, there's an essence look about him. Yeah, well, exactly. There's there's an example. But but again, like I like I you can't say anything. I won't say anything wrong about Melbourne. Um, I, I I have lots of Melbourne supporter friends. They feel their pain. I feel their pain, and they've been beautiful. They've not become smug after winning. No, no, they they've just no. been they've just been joyously excited yeah. because I, they they were convinced it wasn't going to happen. They were convinced it was going to be a it was going to be you know another another. Another annal in the in the horrors that they've had to live through. Whereas me and George, we we continue to suffer. Um, you, you can well, you know, but but you you you've seen to get lot pick up lots of good players, and you know, oh yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, we'll you do all right. We'll see, right. we'll see, mate. Um, I I I do know the person who um, Adam Briggs, who's the, the the comedian and and screenwriter. He said that his auntie uh, was the person who put the uh, who who laid the Carlton curse um, in oh, the nineties. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So from Shepparton. Yeah. Laid it from Shepparton all the way. Nice. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a tracker down next time up in the North, yeah. Northeast and, and buy it, buy a slab of, buy a slab of sponge. Yeah. That's so okay. <laughs> question. That's very nice. Question two. Who would you like yeah. to apologize to and why? Um, well, undoubtedly to my wife. Always. Always the woman I love. The, you know, the, 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 that long-suffering nature 
the long-suffering nature of, <laughs> oh, really? Did, did you eat the last of the cheese? Yeah. <laughs> you did do that? I did, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. And, and, because, and because in that, that way that, you know, she's a, she's a far better person than I am, but, but invariably there's probably something that, that, that I've inadvertently done, you know? Oh, yeah, no, I did do that. Yeah, that was, oh, yeah, no, I did scratch the car. Oh, yeah, that was me. So, so that, 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 that's normal. That's, and, and, and yeah. I think the apology probably isn't for those things. The, it's the apology is I will try and, look, I'm sorry, I will try and, I will try and be more focused and better, you know, because it is in a relationship, it is our role, isn't it, to, to be better, to be better within the relationship when we were the year before. Yeah, and, and, but you own up, it sounds like, which is great. Oh, you got to own up. Oh, yeah, you got to own up. There's, there's no. I learned very early on when I when I started dating um, Emma, um, I, I had been I had been seeing someone else, and um, and uh, and uh, but Emma and I were together. It was great. Uh, Emma's mother, Emma's mother, Emma's mother went out with her best friend, and um, and Emma's mother said, "Oh, Emma's a better girl." And, and um, and Emma's mother's best friend went. Oh, that's really funny because my one of my daughter's best friends. She's met a, a she met a guy as well. So they both met guys. That's good. And Emma's mother said, "Oh, this guy's English." No, there must be a boat. Oh. Come on, because other. And and so it transpired. They went down and they went. This guy's called Matt. This guy's called Matt. And Emma's mother's on the phone going. Matt's dating someone else, and Emma's gone. Ah, uh, yeah, no, he was seeing someone about a month ago, but that's all over. And then that, and so so that was that moment when you go. You don't lie, and you don't don't try and hide stuff in Australia yeah. because it'll be found out. Everyone knows everything. It's too small. Right. Everyone talks too much. Yeah. It's too dangerous. Yeah, that's exactly right, mate. Act, act, act and behave better than you should do. I mean, that, that's the other thing. You you know, when when you start getting on t- TV, and you would have found that. You know, you can't you can't roll upside upside outside the cafe and park in the the handicap zone or in the you know. Ah. You, 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 I mean, so you 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 just you just don't do those things because you know we shouldn't do them anyway but you know you're going to get sprung and you'll look like an idiot. So it, it may, yeah. I think it probably, it should make you a better person most, and that seems to be the case 90% of the time. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard lesson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, question three, what is, your, what is your greatest regret? I've got three. I've got three. Um, one, not buying a 1964 bright print Ford Galaxy convertible for my friend Matthew for 500 pounds. That was a, I should have bought it. I should have wow. scraped the money together because just to have owned that car and driven it around all bit for for a week until it broke down would have been amazing. Um, <laughs> I walked past I walked past a in London, well, I think this must have been around '94. I just come back from Australia, or maybe, and, and I've been to see an exhibition by an artist called Robert Campbell Jr. at the um, MCA. Amazing you know, Indigenous artist, and I walked past this um, this hairdresser, and there was there was a huge like. 6040 painting of Madonna and Tile done by Robert Campbell Jr. for sale in the window for I think it was a thousand pounds. And I, I looked at it and went, Oh, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Um, I sh- and I I didn't I didn't go back and sell my record collection because I, I would have loved that. I wish I bought that. And the third one, wow. I mean, this goes back to soccer, you know. I've I'd gone back, to, I'd gone back to England for the um for the cup final, which is great. We'd won. Chelsea were also in the Champions League final. Like Champions League final, for people who don't understand uh, soccer, that's like the pinnacle. That's like the ultimate thing to win. Mm. You don't. That, that would be like if there was a premiership of all the premierships, you know, you might win it. You know, it's every team in Europe. It's it's all the – but the, every great team is playing it. We made through. It was in, Bar, it was in Bayern Munich against, um, against Bayern. Someone offered me a ticket. Someone else offered me a, a seat on the bus to drive over there, and I was having – and I, I was committed to going and being 
like doing a, a cooking demo at the Noosa Food and Wine Festival. And I went back to the Noosa Food and Wine Festival and, and it was the right thing to do, but I reckon I could have, I could have worn the hatred for three days yeah. of being there for, 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 for Drogba's amazing performance and, and, yeah. to, and to be there when we won. Cause that, that, that was that, that the chance to happen again in my lifetime, you know, uh, it's it's less scant. Well, it is. It's interesting when you get older, you, you realize that those chances do kind of, are slipping away, right? You know that that you know. I, I wonder when Carlton will ever play finals, or you know, it's <laughs> yeah. just one of those things. But, but 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 at least but at least you know, at least you know with, with, with Chelsea because there's so much money in the sport. You know, mm. you know that the, the the rich clubs will always have a chance. You know, my my mother and my sister yeah, both yeah, sport yeah. Fulham, and and they're and they're right. they're damned to be yo-yoing. You know, up and down between the premier, the Premiership, and the Championship. You know, one season up, one season down, one season up. So that's a there's never a hope for that. So I think therefore it's beholden on me if Chelsea do make a final to to be there, to be there. Yeah, yeah. Cancel any festivals. <laughs> what question four is? What will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Wow. Um, I think again, it goes back to kids, and it goes back to to healthy, happy kids. Um. Uh, happily progressing on their own career uh, trajectory. I mean, that that's probably that, that's probably the, the, the best thing. Um, mm. uh, I think that, and I think that that, 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 that that's the real legacy. On, on the shallow, on the shallow side, on the shallow side, if more people learn how to make a spanakopita during a toasty machine, then my job on this planet is done. If you oh, know how great. to, put, if you used to, if, if people start putting phyllo pastry in their, in their toasty makers to make apple pies and and you know that lovely kind of ricotta and wilted green filling of a spanakopita, um, and suddenly toasties were being made using frozen phyllo as opposed to using bread, I feel I would have uh, progressed people's happiness along just a little bit. That's great. That's great. Um, who is the person who most influenced you, and how? Oh. Um, lots of people. I mean, I, I spend my whole time asking questions and, and listening to people, you know, whether it's, whether it's talking to my grandmother about what they like to cook or what they did or, or talking to, you know, uh, I mean, anyone in their you know, kids come up and say what they cook and you want to talk to them about that. I think in terms of, in terms of big influences, um, a wonderful guy, a chef called Robert Castellani had said this great thing that, uh, he was a chef at a restaurant called, um, Donovan's and he said, it's never about the, not about the food on the table, it's about the eyes across the table. And that that, you know, that is that's lovely. That's absolutely central. The idea is the people you're with and to celebrate the people you're with. Enjoy the food, but it's really about the people you're with. Um, I, I once I once got to at, a, at school, we had a we had a guest speaker. He was a guy who was a, an author who's quite famous at the time, called um called uh, Frederick Forsyth. He wrote a book called yeah. uh, Day of the Jackal, another one called The Death of File. And, and we had a very, very boring head of, head of school who was on one side of him. So I got to talk to him for two hours. He was amazing. Oh, wow. Really, it was really, really cool. It was a really, and he was a lovely, fascinating, open guy. And at the end of the meal, he just, he just, he just leaned across to me and said, look, I just want to tell you one thing. Never discount where the next great idea is going to come from. Talk to everybody, listen to everybody. Because in my life, I found that some, the best plot twists have come from, you know, they've not been talking to another author. They might be talking to the, they might, they might have been having a chat with the guy at the post office or, or the guy that delivered the milk. And so, you know, to be open to, you know, the old idea. Yeah. Two ears, one mouth. Um, yeah, to, yeah. To listen and to ask questions is, and look, you know, all my cookbooks, they, they, they would not exist without, they would not exist without, without the people I've talked to. You know, that's where the ideas come from. If I come up with a, but you know, if I come up with, 
invariably it's talking with people about food and them sharing ideas. You know, my, one of the recipes I'm best known for, which is a, a mayonnaise, which you make by with an immersion blender, a stick blender, and you put everything yeah. in a cup together and you go, whoop, and you pull it together. You make instant mayonnaise. It's a, a brilliant idea. That was sent to me by a, a guy called Matt Follas, a New Zealander who'd won MasterChef a long time ago. And he'd seen something I'd written. And he said, oh, look, saw you like that. You should have a look at this. And he sent me the recipe. And I went, how lovely is that? So that, that ability yeah. of being open and have and literally stuff coming to you, being being drawn into you is is you know that that that's the way that's far better than that kind of one man is an island and you know I'm going to sit mm-hmm. no influences sit sit in my hermit like hermit like cell yeah. trying to come up with ideas. Um, I, I'm a huge that's believer exactly in, right. in cross pollination and, and collegiate working processes. And were you always like that? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, no, I'm, I'm sure there were I'm sure there were terrible times when, when I was convinced. You know, when you're young, you're convinced you're right about everything, aren't you? I mean, that's you know, and mm. and 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 maybe mm. and you you're right maybe thirty percent of the time, which just convinces you to keep on keep on doing <laughs> that. So you know, in terms of in terms of doing things like running clubs or or promoting bands in in the UK, that that was that was possibly the case. Um, but no, by, by and large, by and large, I think it's I think you get. I've always felt that. Working with people, you get much much better stuff. You just got to find you just got to find the right um the right people to work with, and it's and sometimes that's hard. I mean, you're lucky yeah. in terms of in terms of your right your writing partner, but you just want to find the right you want to find the right fellow travellers because gee, it's good. So I mean, I've, mate. I've I've got a I've got a team of maybe four people, and they all work they all worked on the book with me. They all work on me with on the book with me. They worked on the shoot with me, and that was just like heaven. You, they, yeah, because they yeah. know you so well, you know. They go, "Have you thought about doing it this way? What about doing that?" And that—that's how—that's how recipes get better. Or someone just sends you in a totally different direction, saying, "You know, you could do this with with this." And you go, "Oh, that's amazing!" And and off that's you go. Great. You know that, that 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 stuff is. But food, especially, is really interesting. Historically, food was terribly much about the the head chef, and he had his his ideas, told everyone what to do. You know, if you went to mm-hmm. go and learn from someone like Gordon Ramsay, you had to spend two years at Gordon Ramsay so you could do, he would give you six months in each section. So you couldn't learn all his tricks in a month and then go on and go on and do something else. There, there's uh-huh. another famous chef in Adelaide who, when he went away, used to bury all his recipes in a biscuit tin at the end of the garden and so no one else could get them. So there's, 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 a, there's a whole range of that. That's amazing. And I think, I think that's been the wonderful thing. And that's sort of starting with a guy called Ferran Adria, uh, uh, Spanish chef at El Bui, that he would at the end of the year, or the beginning of January, he'd do a presentation. He'd go, "Here are the twenty-five new techniques we've come up with in my laboratory for last season's menu. I'm showing you how to do all of them. Now you take them and go and do other stuff with them." So they they they, they, they had their year. They had a year of, of having this with you. Then they went away and and said, "Look, here you." Try making an ice cream without without sugar. See what happens. Try this technique when you vacuum pack a peach with whiskey in it, and the the vacuum packing opens up the pores of the peach, and the whiskey sucks into the peach, so you get a whiskey soaked peach. Wow. I mean, the thing just little bird ideas like that. You just was open. You just go here, everybody, have a look, and that. So I think that that that's been a massive change in food. It's also you know, it's, there's nothing better than, than than going and then trying something and going, oh yeah, okay, you're right. That's that's so much better. You know, so I love a self sourcing chocolate pudding. My mate Warren said. Have you tried it with flake salt? We, we went away together. We made it with flake salt. We got chocolate pudding with flake salt. <gasps> Bam! That is so yeah. amazing. So delicious. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, and, and, that, and, and that's, you know, you're, you're, you're so much stronger. You're so much stronger with, with five heads rather than one. 
I've been thinking about you recently because I've been reading the the Anthony Bourdain book written by his assistant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt appeared in the Anthony Bourdain series No Reservations in 2009, just before he started on MasterChef. The episode's on YouTube, and you can see the kinship between these two very tall writer-slash-cooks as Matt shows Anthony the culinary delights of Sydney Road, Brunswick, and introduces him to the Melbourne inventor game, Trugo. Uh, I'm... Yeah, I met him. I met him twice. I met, I met him on the first time he was here, and the second time spent more time with him. Yeah, it would have been. It was two thousand. It was before. It was before MasterChef happened. Actually, it was before MasterChef happened. So, so he was. He was. He was on the the lunches and dinners. He was giving me advice. He was saying, "Okay, you're going to be on television." And he said, "Here's one bit of advice. This should this should sit in the previous question." He said, "One bit of advice I'm going to give you: never, ever, ever let anyone sit on your lap um, while you're doing an autograph. So, if you want an autograph, sign an autograph." but never on a body part, never let them sit on a lap. He said, because he said when he started um, on TV, he went, he was in Boston. It was a signing for the first book. Um, this lovely old lady, look, looked like your nan, came up, about 85, came up and said, can, we, can I get a photo, uh, Tony? So he said, okay, yeah, so do you mind? He said, I sit on your lap, Tony. And, and he went, oh, yeah, okay, I suppose. So Nan's come here, something like that. And as the camera went up to take the snap, she got her hands and put them on either side of Tony Bourdain's head, dragged him in and planted the biggest, tiniest French kiss you've ever seen oh. on Tony Bourdain as the camera's going off. And he's like, and that's oh. why you never let them sit in your lap. At the time of speaking to Bourdain, Matt knew he was going to be on a TV show designed to uncover Australia's best amateur cooks, but he had no idea how successful the show would be. When I asked him how he got the gig, he said he was quietly going about his business as the creative director for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival when the phone rang. I mean, again, it's that, you know, this is that whole small world listening thing. I, um, I got a phone call from my mother. My mother used to be a primary school teacher and she worked with an Australian teacher. They, they remained good friends. Now we're 30 years further down the track. And the, and the Australian teacher's got a daughter-in-law in casting. And she says, ring Matt Preston, ring Jennifer's son, Matt Preston. Now he, he knows about chefs. Give him a ring and get him to suggest some people for you. So, so this person rings up and um, starts, you know, wow. doing that TV thing of, 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 as they always do to, to journalists and going, hi, we'd like you to be our consultant and not pay you. And um, could you give us every mm. – uh, tell me all the best, the best chefs you've had on the Food and Wine Festival and who the great performers are and – so we went through this. We went through this kind of process for about about forty minutes, and then and then they said um, they said, "Oh, just I mean, you get a picture of you." So I sent them a picture of me looking disapprovingly at a salad, um, <laughs> and 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 the story the story goes they were looking for two chefs and one host. That's what they're looking for, modelled on pretty much the 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 UK show. And the story goes that that image went from the casting person's desk to the producer's desk up to David Mott, who was head of programming, and the line came back, if thus this guy can string a sentence together, we're writing him a new role. They just like the look. They like the, they like the star. Right. They like the disapproving thing. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, and it wasn't, it was nothing to do with my contact books. It was nothing to do with the fact I won, won awards for my writing, my recipe writing. It was, um, that I, I don't, I'd even like, won this ridiculous award for world's best food writer. They weren't, they didn't care about that. Yeah, and yeah, that's the yeah. whole thing about TV. That the, your, your, it was just, he looks right. He'll be fine, and and then on that basis, those then they had they put a third spot in. Um, ironically, the person who's doing the casting was a, a woman called Henrietta Stride, who's been my manager now for eleven years. Oh, really? Which is fantastic. So she was there 
from very very early on. Um, and yeah, and it was and it was that 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 another one of those Cinderella moments. Like when I started writing about food, someone knocks on the door and says, "Do you want to do you want to do you want to write about food?" And you go, "Do I get paid? Can I take my mates?" They say yes. You go yes, and it's like, "Do you want to be on TV?" And it's like. I mean, I've been offered a few other bits of TV before, but they're always about they're always about being horrible. They're always like, we want you to, yeah, we want yeah. you to, you're just going to come in and you're going to be an absolute ass to these people. And you know, I think when we started MasterChef, all three of us, we we all wanted to be, we all wanted to be Randy. We want to, you go, girl. We want to be Marcia. We wanted yeah, to be you know, the yeah. positive one because there was no place for the there was no place for the histrionics, the kind of mm. the kind of spitting and the you know all that ridiculous stuff of. Uh, of of throwing food across the kitchen and you know all the stuff that people do because because producers tell them to do it um so yeah so 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 it was kind of a, a weird a weird and suddenly we're standing there we're told it's a tiny show we're told that you know there's no money for, there's no budget for anyone it's a really small production you know, you know look, we'd love you to have a crack so we turn up at perth there's 200 crew they're giant techno techno jibs um and we go oh this, they're, they're, they're taking this a bit serious aren't they um and then from there on yeah. it was from there on it when we you know but but having said that we we still chat i remember just turning up with the um the makeup there was a big canteen where all these 200 crew were eating their breakfast and there was and there were the makeup chairs and there was the wardrobe the wardrobe rack set up it was like you yeah, just change over there so the poor old crew I've got to see my 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 faded pair of, <laughs> faded pair of holy Calvin Kleins for breakfast, which would, which would have made them distinctly unhappy. Um, and and so it was kind of okay. This is a this is an interesting. Experience. It relaxed everyone, mate. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that, it, that's what you do, isn't it? Make a fool of yourself. Everyone's happy. Well, look, it, it's an interesting thing because it was it, you know in in my life, you know, as as an adult, I think it was Secret Life of Us, Big Brother, and Master Chef, which all really kind of collect you know capture the group consciousness and inside well the nation's kind of consciousness yeah. in a way and you know those those first few years it it's um how did you handle the attention because well, it was, I was, like, was say, coming at you thick and fast do, do we need do we need do we need to go back and go so secret life of us big brother Marshev. so all all i i believe probably all of those were commissioned by david mott same guy at channel 10 which is interesting um mm. and so it, it, you need to have David. David would be a good interview for you. He's an, he's an off-field yeah. character, but but you, you've just—I think you're absolutely right. They all did capture him. Look, you know, for us, for us, it was like for us, it was like we had no idea. We had no idea what's going on. So you're you're just kind of like, oh, this is just normal, is it? Uh, it the, the people turn up, they watch, they seem quite happy, and it all goes it all goes burka, yeah. and and, um, and it's all kind of and it's all kind of. I mean, it's only. It's only probably after season five when when it all went a bit pear shaped and you could see you could feel the show lose its way and you could feel everything falling out the back door. Did you, did you realize how special you realize how special right. years one and two were? I mean the the idea it still bamboozles me that the two things about one how many people watch MasterChef? You know the, mm. the those numbers were just insane and they and I suppose with the, the fractured nature of TV now they'll. There'll never be a clip. So that that that's an amazing thing to to have done. But then the other one was the, you know the fact that you could then I don't know you'd be I don't know I was in, I was in a holiday in, in Sri Lanka and I was at a, an elephant orphanage and and these Bulgarians come up to me they don't speak English so the only word they know is Master Chef and you go how bizarre is that you know I'm on the I'm, and and that and that 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 whole thing of the show being watched by 19 million people each episode around the world it, it, that's 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 truly strange but bizarrely mm. but bizarrely the best thing about it has been sitting in a 
restaurant in Hyderabad are there doing a story for Delicious and the, these two kids, they would have been 11 and 12, brother and sister come up and, and they come and say, hi, uncle, can, uh, can we just say hello? And I said, yes. And then what do you like to cook? And they, like, they just said, we like frying things. And then we just had a conversation <laughs> about frying stuff. And it's like moments like that or moments of being in, being in Portugal where, the, where, 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 you know, I went to Portugal and that was crazy. The show was huge there and, and just people just being nice you know people coming up and just saying things look look here look i know you don't speak portuguese but if you ever need a, someone to translate over the phone you know here's my number or or um wow. I, i'm a fisherman i reckon the best fish around here is is at this restaurant you should go and try that out that that kind of <sighs> open that open-hearted way is that, that that that's the real privilege of that's the real privilege is that ability event and again then you know that collegiate thing of learning from them and saying how do you make this dish I, I can ask mm-hmm. someone, I can ask someone, you know, how they make, you know, there's a great dish called, um, which is basically rice and prawns. And, and you, you can sit there and you can ask whether it's a, a grandmother or whether it's a, a, a cook, they'll share the, the information with you. And you then, and that, that then becomes something that you cook at home and eventually makes into a book. What great intel just across the board. But you need to, as you say, the, the theme of this is you need to be open to it. Oh, and, and, and look, and again, you know, if you think of the things, the stuff I've, the stuff that when I, you know, when I when I do that, you know, I'm now in the process of of, of putting down notes for a for a book, kind of a memoir type uh, piece of rubbish that, that will come out uh, in the next year or so, and I'm writing down those those moments that mean stuff. And you know, one of the things that I look back on, and you know, the last 15 years that were kind of crazy fun to do. Some of them are obviously, you know, related to to MasterChef. So you know, setting a challenge from the from the podium at the United Nations. Like sitting in the United, that United Nations room beneath the seal on that mm. podium and saying, going, we're filming in the UN. This is just insane. Bang. Um, but then wow. it's also the stuff where you're where That's you right. where you find yourself, you know, um, you find yourself suspended dressed in a in as the world largest cherub with white giant white wings above the, the stage at the Sydney Entertainment Center, about to be so you see over 80 feet up, 90 feet up, about to be just sent down on wires. To um to present an award and you go, that is just what this is crazy. Being being on you being on your show, doing lowdown, being on being on being on lowdown. And again, you talk about you talk about never knowing when opportunities there. I mean, I remember I remember Amanda telling me the story that she was sitting behind me. I think my wife and I had just brought one of our kids back from hospital. We we're having that coffee, the first coffee out of hospital, and she heard my voice and she thought, I'll just write a that voice sounds about the right, and I'll put him put in the show. Well, we already had. No, it, was, it was even better than that because what happened was we were looking for an inspector, uh, a police inspector for for this episode, and we're very influenced by Stephen Fry's character in in Gosford yep. Park, and we thought oh, who who could play that in Australia, and we and we decided Matt Preston was the person. So we started. We said, let, let, you know, so Matt Preston's going to be the inspector. So Amanda's typing at that little cafe uh, near the Yarra. Mm. Um, I've forgotten the name of it now. And um, canteen, and she's typing away, and she hears a voice that's very similar to the voice that's in her head. (laughs) (laughs) She turns, and you're sitting next to her. So how? I mean, what a you know, you're you you definitely send out the vibe. I think I think there's something special about you that you're always kind of your your tentacles are are, are everywhere. I I think I think you know. I mean, I, I worked. I worked with with Rhonda, who wrote who wrote the secret, which was all about coincidence, and we never talked oh, about yeah. that. We never talked about that when when I was working when I was working for her. But you kind of go, how many times? How many times does that happen? How many times do you not? Do you, I mean, for, for the number of times it happens, how many times do you not register how close you are to that that thing happening? Mm. You know that that you bump you bump into someone you bump into someone in Disneyland. 
that, and you go, what's the thought of a spoke? But how many times did you almost bump into those people? That that's that starts mm. to bamboozle me that, that maybe the world is makes you feel that the world is actually a much smaller, much smaller place than this giant ball of gas with all these million people. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, question six is when was the last time you cried? Um, and why? Isn't this, this is this is I wrote I, I thought about that and then I, I then I, I about about an hour and a half ago, um, uh, being interviewed by Virginia Trioli, and she asked me about what made me sad. Most recently, what made me sad, and I started talking about. Um, I, I found. I mean, I think during lockdown, everyone was a bit bit wound, but I found I got really upset with the death of Michael Galinsky. I found I spontaneously cried a couple mm. of times over Michael's passing. And I'm mean, look. I love Michael. He's great fun, and we'd, we'd I'd had you know go for lunch with him occasionally. But he wasn't he wasn't like a, a, a best mate. He was he was very close to a friend of mine who couldn't obviously get back for the funeral. So I think that's that's part of it. So I, I had a bit of a I had a bit of a tear then. Um, and and then I suppose that that was also combined by thinking about my mother who was diagnosed with myeloma a couple of about a year ago, and obviously going through that idea you've got an eighty eight year old relative on the other side of the world you can't get to see. Is that that that, yeah. that, that, that that's, that's been a pretty horrible. That's been a pretty horrible. But that's um pretty horrible situation. So, so those combinations, I think mm. probably the last time that, that, that I cried, but I'll cry at anything. If you'd asked me that question, if you'd that question yesterday at this time, I probably would have said, um, watching Ted Lasso. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. I've cried, I've cried a lot during Lasso. Um, what's your current state of mind? Um, I, it, again, this is, a, this is what's great about going through these questions in advance and thinking about them. At the time... At the time you sent them to me, maybe a week ago, it was kind of uh, heightened mania, you know, that kind of, <laughs> oh, my God, we're out and about. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And the book's coming out. I've got this publicity to do. Mm. And, I'm, and, I'm, and the borders have opened. I can now go and see my mum. And that means I need to get a, I need to get, get a ticket and I need to work out what the vaccination thing. So there's all that stuff going on. So it was really mm. pretty, 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 pretty scatty at that point. A week later... I'm just happy. I'm happy we're out. I've spent, I've had a lovely, I'm doing that weird thing of doing publicity because I've been doing this job for 14 years now. So many people, you know, that's how I met you. I would never have met you if I hadn't done this mm. job. Um, I just got off the phone with the with the guys who do, uh, Nathan, Nat and Sean, who are beautiful human beings. Whenever I go to Perth, I try and catch up with them for a meal because they're just, they're, they're, they're just lovely people. So, so that, that kind of ability to actually catch up and see in a very short period of time, people you know and love and like has been yeah amazing that's an amazing thing to do you know i'm, I'm at the end of this my mates picking up after the end we're going to campari house for for drinks for a friend's birthday how amazing is that after 20, oh, that's- 50 days of lockdown it's um, <laughs> right. yeah so so yeah um i, I think I, I think i've gone from manic manic manicness into um a kind of a kind of thankful beatific state that's lovely that's lovely what do you consider your greatest achievement? Uh, again, again, still being married um, would be one, and um, <laughs> and and that, but that's probably my wife's achievement rather than mine. <laughs> yeah, but you'll, you'll take it. <laughs> but I'll take it. Um, uh, you know, having three healthy, happy, um, entertaining, excellent children. But that, again, that's their achievement rather than mine. Um, and but so we're, we're, um, it's it's going to take me back. It's going to take me back. I'd suggest the. Um, I'm pretty proud. I'm pretty proud of the Spanakopita Jaffel. I'm pretty proud. Mm. I'm pretty proud of um, the, some of those instant mayonnaises. Um, and I'm and I'm pretty. 
I'm pretty happy that I, I was able to discover a recipe for spaghetti bolognese that comes out that places that's four years older than anything else anyone else has found before. Because spaghetti bolognese is such a central dish. And to find anything new about that, that's kind of, I've done my job. What's new? Well, well, oh, are, are you, it's a spoiler? It's it, because the first recipe is in an Adelaide newspaper. The first recipe was supposed oh. to be Elizabeth David, greatest English cook, um, 1950, yeah. mid-50s. And I've managed to find, I'm there doing my research, going through spaghetti bolognese, reading every relevant comment on spaghetti bolognese and trying to find a recipe. And the first one I can find in all the UK papers and all the American papers, all the Australian papers, is in Adelaide, 1950. The mail, here it goes, you know, tomatoes, mint, spaghetti. That's like... And then the same thing with pavlova. So, so that 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 I mean, yeah. I hope I, I hope I'm also mindful that these these will be greatest achievements for right now because I'm I, you know being able to prove that 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 um that New, that, that Australia's probably got a bigger claim to pavlova than New Zealand and refute that old kind of chestnut which yeah. we kind of rolled over in the right. past. Be able to actually say no, <laughs> no, no, it's ours and maybe the Germans, um, but it's ours and someone else it's, yeah, i don't mind sharing yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't mind sharing, sharing the kudos with the prussians or the or the texans maybe but sharing it with the new zealanders that, that was too much <laughs> for many people um but but i'm also mindful that you know that in in two years time six months time five years time uh, another bit of uh, another menu might appear from somewhere else or uh, or you know something from uh, pavlova's pavlova's tour in 26 well a menu will come up or that that the whole point about the truth and that's why the, in the book I always talk about you know it's the myth and it's my truth um is because we know that that these things change and the stuff that we take as being you know truth is not truth is not a stationary uh, concept in terms mm. of things like that where we can only say what's truthful based on what we can see and know and there's there's always more stuff to be discovered and that's that's kind of exciting it's living that, that's where your history knowledge comes into play you you, you know you just i mean i saw you on adbc and you just re- were ridiculously good um i think that you know you you've you've seen the arc of history on many on, on many subjects and food operates in a similar way but, but I, I think you're absolutely and i think you look at and it, it it matters in the same way it's got it's got consequences i i i like the fact of all those unsung heroes that it's great to be able to celebrate guys like mcpherson robertson you know the the guy invented the the, the cherry ripe and the Freddo frog and the columbine wow. who also who also allowed, you know, also supported the confections, the formation of the confectioners' union. Also supported the push for the 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 the, the, the eight-hour working day. I mean, he's a mate, you know. And and wow. we, we see him; we, his name's there on a bridge. It's on a school. We kind of don't know more about that. So it's lovely to be able to, to find some of those people and 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 celebrate those. Therese Bellissimo, who, yeah. who invented the who invented the buffalo wing. You know, the, the, oh, this is good. Yeah, and, yeah. And and it's and it's as as Brett Savran famously said. The invention of a new dish does more for the happiness of mankind than the discovery of a new star, and it's that oh, idea. Wow. So, so we yeah. should be we should be yeah. going. You know, that every time you have a buffalo wing, you go, Trey's. I think you were actually that's delicious. So, that's, I think that 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 stuff is that that stuff is kind of that's kind of groovy and exciting. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, second last question: Who would you want on your side in a battle, and why? Oh, well, there, there are two answers there. Um, on one, on one, it's Gary. Gary is, of course, Matt's MasterChef co-judge, Gary Megan. He's fiercely loyal, and he's also a bit scary. Yeah, no, is he? <laughs> he's a bit scary because he comes across as so benign on. on oh, on, yeah, 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 right. yeah, 
Put a pair of boxing gloves on if he's not so benign. Wow. And the and the other one is the other one is uh, I would quite like a really aggressive and very loyal um, Bengal tiger flying a Lockheed Martin F forty five fighter jet because like that 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 wow. that would uh, I'm kind of well suited if the tiger has to bail out and come down in the parachute um, he's going to be able to do most stuff on the ground and. And and the fighter jet, you know that that's that's advanced technology, and we can deal with everything else. So I reckon I I reckon I ring most most battles. I think Gary is probably more scary. <laughs> but I, I love the thought that's gone into the tiger and the and the jet. That's that's brilliant. It's, it's, remember, it's got to be a loyal tiger. It's got to be like <laughs> yeah. Shiva from The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah. You've, you watch? Do you walk? Do you, yeah, do you watch yeah. The I'm Dead? The, I used to be mates with it. Well, I am still mates with the showrunner of season two and three, Glenn Mazzara. No, oh, amazing. Yeah, amazing. Oh, you, you're like you're like a, you're like a, I'm going to hang out with you more and just sit at your feet and listen to stories. Glenn Mazzara, whose show ran The Walking Dead and The Shield, is the only super successful showrunner I know, and I enjoy dropping his name whenever possible. Moving on to the final question: What would Matt like his last words to be? Oh, that was delicious. Yeah, perfect. Actually, no, I think I know. Actually, wait a second. Um, that was delicious. I love you. Uh, there you are. I think that that's probably the, the that's probably the, the better one. Thank you so much for tuning into Ten Questions. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. So until next time, thanks for joining us. <laughs>